welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Glad to be back. Took last week off for Thanksgiving, and I hope everyone had a great holiday. All of us uh, Americans that celebrate American Thanksgiving, and I hope you uh, ate uh, (laughs) responsibly (laughs) and didn't end up in a tryptophan coma. But uh, yeah, we had a great time. We actually spent um, a decent amount of time after uh, after Thanksgiving Day. We went up to camp. Spent a couple of days up there working on some things, enjoying that uh, fall weather that's still sticking around for a little bit. But before we get into our podcast interview, I wanted to just do a couple updates, uh, one of which is uh, for our Patreon supporters. I know uh, we communicate via Patreon, uh, but also wanted to make announcements because I think some people hear this faster than they look at the Patreon feed. But we are going to be having our first live chat session. And that is actually for all tier groups. And that's going to be on the 13th of December. So uh, at the point of recording this bumper, it'll just be a couple weeks away. And we're going to do that in the evening time. I believe we've got it scheduled for 8 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll just have an open discussion there for about an hour talking about all things pastured pig. Um, People can throw some questions back and forth and and just see. So we're hoping to have... um, uh, participants there. So if you're a Patreon supporter, by all means, uh, join us there. If not, now would be the time, of course, just as little as $5 a month, you can jump in there and uh, be a part of the group. Well, we've had uh, we've had a good uh, couple weeks so far since our last podcast, as far as things go with, with the pigs, uh, getting ready for farrowing in January. That's the plan. I, I do believe two of my sows are still settled. Um, they've been showing some, although the, um, the boars have been messing around with them a little bit, uh, but I think they've still settled. Um, so we're looking forward to that and, and, uh, we're going to try something a little differently, different with our farrowing setup, we'll be utilizing, utilizing our farrowing barn last time, but we'll, we'll incorporate our, uh, greenhouse hoop house as one of our farrowing options as well, cause they should both, um, they should farrow within just several days of each other. All right. Well, um, the conversation we're having is with John Johnson and John's from Ohio. He's a Poplar Ridge family farm uh, over in Ohio, which is not too far from us. And uh, it was a good conversation I had with John. But hang on as you listen to this podcast, hang on to the end. Make sure you, you come to the end because we actually talk about his first year raising uh, raising hogs and sharing the hanging weights because he had three different breeds he was dealing with there and just seeing how those breeds came out hanging weight wise because uh, they were all part of the same group they all ran the same pasture all had the same feed and just see how they finished out so uh, when we recorded this he was getting ready to take the pigs to the processor now that i'm doing the bumpers he's included that information for me so um at the end of the um, at the end of the podcast when i do the the back end bumper there then i'll include that data so I'll catch you guys on the back end. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Today, we are going northwest of Red Tool House, just across the mighty Ohio River. And we're going to talk with Poplar Ridge Family Farm and the owner of that farm, John Johnson. Welcome, John. Hey, Troy. How you doing? Doing well. How are you today? I'm doing very good. I'm honored to be here. Well, thank you. How are things? Um, how are things across the river? You've uh, you've had some pretty good cold snaps already, haven't you? Yeah, we've seen some frost already uh, early this fall, and actually this uh, coming week, uh, early November is looking like it's going to be warmer than some of our days in October. So I guess that's fall in Ohio, yeah. at least in our our area anyway. Yep, yep. We run into the same thing. Um, I remember riding my motorcycle on. Christmas Day because it was so warm one time and after we'd already had some freezing temperatures in November you just you never know what you're going to get here in the mid-Atlantic do you that's very true all right so let's um I, I want to tell our audience um I actually got to meet John face to face uh through through the Homesteaders Homesteaders of America conference we were there just this uh or first of October and uh, ran into John and, and got to talk to him for a bit so 
you know, as Providence would have it, our meeting obviously led to to this discussion now that we're having here on the podcast. So, John, first of all, tell me a little bit about Poplar Ridge Family Farm. Maybe some a little bit of the history and the genesis of why you are now there raising animals and, and specifically pastured pork. Sure. We are located in southeastern Ohio. We're about an hour southeast of Columbus and uh, probably the nearest city most folks would recognize would be Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University is, yes. just another 30 minutes southeast of me. Um, probably the biggest draw to my area is the Hocking Hills region, which is a, a high tourism area. And um, we are located on 75 acres here in Hocking County. Uh, the majority of that, I'd say 50 to 55 acres is wooded. Mm. And we have another 15 to 20 that's um, made up of several different patchers and, um, and meadows. Um, but we moved here in 2016. Ma- mainly, we just wanted to get out of town. Uh, we were, I, didn't, I didn't move to this property with the idea of farming initially. We moved, um, just wanted our kids to have a safe place to be able to go outside and, and, you know, be able to run around without having to keep a a very, you know, close eye on them, sit outside with them while they're outside. And, um, I'm a, I like to hunt and fish and be outside. So, and, and we like to hike and camp as a family. So it just made sense for us to look for some, some acreage, um, and something a little more quiet, which was at the top of my list. And, uh, we really found that with where we are. Um, our house sits about a quarter mile off the road, and um, we enjoy the privacy and, and the quietness of where we are. Um, but moving from 2016, we you know we spent a lot of time sort of fixing up the house and getting things how we wanted it to be. But uh, 2020 sort of rolled around, and and being at home together, and and uh, wanting to sort of kind of get into the homesteading thing was initially what was kind of pushing me. I've always really been interested in the, ho- in the homesteading thing, which is part of why we bought the property, but farming didn't really come together yet for me um, before that. So we uh, started out with chickens. We In 2020, uh, we went and, and bought uh, six chickens just to raise eggs for our own family. And you probably have heard people talk about chicken math and how that goes. Mm. Um, we didn't stick with six chickens very long. So um, we, uh, once we had six chickens, it's like, if you can raise six, you can raise 20 or 30. <laughs> and so, um, other people were wanting eggs from us and things like that. So that's kind of where we, um, started to dip our toe in the water was with chickens. Yeah. Very good. So what, so along that same vein then, so what at, um, what was the thought process to say, okay, chickens are doing what they're doing now it's time for pigs. So why, why did you go with pigs at that point? I think, um, you know, for me personally, I raised um, a few hogs for um, FFA and the fair back when I was a young kid. So I I was familiar with pigs initially. Um, The second thing is um, I'm a big, big fan of Joel Salatin and um, seeing his um, operation and um, seeing different YouTube videos and reading books and and things from him and seeing how he used the the hogs on pasture and through the woods um, made a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I also think it's, um, it's a real nice next step from chickens. If you're looking to get into, you know, starting to get into some larger farm animals, pigs are a great next step. I, I think one is they're, uh, they're relatively short term. You know, you're talking about six to eight months for a pig compared to a year or two, two years for cattle. Um, and also I know already that I love pork. Um, you know, I, that, that just makes so much sense to me is, is if I can't sell something, at least I can eat it. Um, my family's not so sure about, you know, eating sheep or, you know, something, something along that lines, whereas I would love to have some sheep, but that's not a a meat we eat regularly, Mm. but I'm very confident that I can um, either personally consume the pork or, um, that it would be very easy to sell. So that was kind of my genesis of why I chose pork and, it really just made sense for my property too. I, I mentioned already we have, you know, 55 of that 75 acres is wooded. And so um, I'm not going to be running a whole lot of cows out here right now or something like that, just because I don't have the pasture for it at the moment. Um, but pigs, I, you know, they really fit ideally in the, in the wood lines and cleaning up the brush and things that I have around here that um, 
that need that attention anyway that I would have to be doing either mechanically or or you know using my own physical labor to clear such things and so it just really made sense for me my property and and um, my history with the animal as well yeah that's great and man I, I love what you said there in, in very similar situation and you know I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too much but I appreciate what you said John that looking at your looking at your property and you know, if you look at this from a from a permaculture standpoint, people say you know, if you're going to buy land, you're going to get on land, spend a year on it first before you make any big decisions, any big changes to to you know, kind of let the land speak to you, kind of see how it it handles the seasons, how it handles dry, how it handles wet, all those type of things. But looking at that and saying, yeah, okay, chickens chickens are easy; they're they're low cost barrier entry because you can buy a chicken for a couple bucks, and if you kill it, then you're only out a couple bucks plus feed. And, and then you just keep looking at these larger animals. And, and when you get to pigs, you see that, at least in my experience, and I'm sure you're probably the same, being that our topography is very similar, that a, a strand of electric wire through the woods is cheaper fence than anything you'd keep goats in, keep sheep in, uh, even cattle to that point. So the infrastructure, startup infrastructure is, is fairly cheap. And the uh, the turn time on it, you know, you're not looking at two years for your money to show up or your return on investment to show up. Like you said, that's six to eight months. And then, of course, just what the land has. If the land's telling you, hey, we've got tons of woods, we don't have a lot of grazing grass for a ruminant, but man, if you put a couple pigs in here, you can actually you know, do some function stacking where the pigs are growing off the mast and off the brambles and things that they're eating, but it's keeping you from having to do all that work. So... I appreciate looking at that, that you're looking at that, seeing how some others like Joel Salatin and those have done that and say, okay, this just makes the most sense because that's where our land is geared. It's kind of what the land is telling us after we've reviewed it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, you know, just being here on this property for the time we were, and um, it wasn't uh, necessarily purposeful that I was waiting, but it ended up being a very good thing that I did wait because now I know where those um, um, spots are where even pigs maybe shouldn't be. There's some old trash piles and things on this property <laughs> that were here from before us. And um, with that strand of electric wire, I'm able to take them right up to those things and around those things and sort of expose the, the land around it so that I can get to those things now and clean up um some of the stuff that I would have had to blaze a trail to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? I mean, that's what I just can't, I can't stress that enough. And I know a lot of people listening already have pigs, so they, they know what we're talking about. But if I was to be a, uh, you know, someone standing on a soapbox and saying why you need to have pigs and just point that out that, that man, you can take, uh, I know our, our farm years ago had really bad issues with multiflora rose and I know you guys have that up in Ohio as well, but you know, just nasty, nasty stuff. And, and it, it, it grows in, in such a way where it kind of falls over itself that you, that it's tough to get in there. If you can't get your tractor in there and remove it by those mechanical means, it's tough to get in there by hand and, and reach the stalks to cut them because you got to crawl through this huge tumbleweed of briars. Uh, but what I would do with the pigs is, is I just go through about this time of year when the, when everything's are going dormant, I go through there and, and take a handful of field corn and just toss it in the dead center of those multiflora rose bushes and come back in about a week and they are just obliterated because they're, you know, they're, their pig hide is so thick. They just jump in there and, and they're rooting out that corn and they'll turn over those, uh, multiflora rose uh, roots in the same, same process. So it's really neat how they can be excavators to help us with our plans on our farm. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned multi-floor rows because that was a big factor in why I chose pigs. Um, we do have a major problem with that here where we are as well. Um, I, I don't know exactly how many acres of pasture I've lost on my wood lines, but I would venture to guess, you know, my wood lines have lost probably in some spots 50 to 75 feet um, of that just from brush in general, but especially from multiflora rows overtaking that wood line. Um, that's just where that stuff loves to grow. Yeah. And um, my choices sort of are what you said, you get in there and clear it by hand or by tractor, which some spots are too steep for me to do. Yep. Same thing here. Um, or, or you get goats. And <laughs> I did not have the fencing for goats. So pigs were, were the um, ideal choice for that. Just watching other people do the same thing, like you mentioned. And 
Um, it's worked out great. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, and again, not to go down a rabbit trail here, but I want to want to ask you because, again, we're so close that uh, geographically that there's a lot of similarities. So, was your property that the cleared land that you had when you got the property was that was that in crop or was that cut for hay? Uh, most of the cleared pasture here had been hayed. Yeah. Um, they they took hay off of it for years, I think, and. Um, you can tell that from the broom's edge that's, you know, out here that it, the pastures were suffering. Um, they, they did have horses on it for a time period before us. Um, I'm not sure how long those horses were there or um, if there would have been any kind of, I would doubt there would have been any kind of rotating of the horses, you know, it's probably just more like free access to a certain mm-hmm. portion of the pasture. Right, exactly. Yeah, free choice all the way around. So you don't, you don't get any pasture build up. You just get... Mm-hmm get the bad stuff growing. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, that, and that's interesting because what, what you're talking about where I see that so much, especially in this farmland that's that's kind of being turned over. So it's kind of, yeah, in, in our area, if you leave pasture unattended, it becomes Appalachian hardwood forest again. And I know that's the same up in Ohio. If you leave it alone, it's going to be a stand of trees at some point. And, and what we see with a lot of this land, especially where it's cut for hay and usually the situation is the guy cutting the hay is not the landowner. The landowner is just letting the person cut just for the sake, Hey, keep my pastures clear. You can cut it and have the hay for free. Or maybe there's a small amount of money, uh, you know, changing hands there. But the guy that's cutting the hay doesn't necessarily have the investment in it that he'd want to keep the meadows pristine. So these edges, like you talked about, the multiflora rose just creeps in and creeps in. So as the guy comes and cuts, in Ohio, you guys probably can get a third cutting, usually in Ohio, I believe. But so they, as they come and cut those pastures only three times a year to save on their equipment, of course, they just step in. They don't want to get on the edge of the pasture and, and cut into multiflora rose or grapevine or autumn olive or any of that stuff that's popping up there. Uh, so they, they just kind of keep coming in and they cut less and less and less. So that, that pasture actually shrinks. So finding land like that may look like, oh, wow, that's, there, there's a lot of work that has to be done. And that's where the pig comes in because the pig is just going to thrive on that forest edge. So you, you step in 20, 30, 40 feet from the edge of the wood line into that pasture and let those pigs have those fringes. And, and you've, got a, you've got a touchdown. And, I, and I've noticed, John, on, on your social media that I've noticed you have a lot of areas there, at least the pictures of that. You've got a lot of areas there where you have your, your gravity feeder there on the edge of the wood line. So it's easy for you to come fill it up, access the pigs and kind of, kind of keep an eye on them. But then behind them is, is the woods that they can go hang out in. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's uh, definitely the situation they're in right now. I actually took them um, initially when they were younger, I took them more through a denser wood lot. Um, We had a, a particular, section of our woods that had a path that ran right down the middle of it. And so I would just pull that gravity feeder right down the path. Hmm. Um, so, uh, the reason for that was purposeful, um, is because, you know, earlier on in the season, um, when it's so hot, I wanted them to have pretty much constant access to shade and, um, and to keep them cool because I'm not, I'm not pulling a shade or a shelter around with me currently, um, in my setup. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that, that was purposeful. Now that it's later in the season and getting to be um, fall, I've kind of worked my way up to this spot where I'm at now on purpose to try to hit that multi-floor rose and give them some access to grass and, and pasture on the edge as well. Very good. Very good. So let's, let's transition here a little bit and talk about, um, let's talk about this. So, so right now you are, are you dealing with feeders? Is So this year's, um, heard that you have or were these feeders that you acquired did you farrow these how did you come about these pigs yep these were feeders that we acquired um, um which uh, oddly enough was quite difficult to do even for just 11 pigs around here um, trying to find um either people that had 11 or could get um could get them to me at the time frame i needed them because as you know troy trying to get uh, butcher dates is mm-hmm. is very difficult so I actually had the butcher dates set before I got the pigs. So I was trying to back into um, finding pigs that would be grown out at the right time frame to meet that butcher date, because I definitely didn't want to let those go. Um, and so it was, it was pretty difficult to, to find uh, the pigs I was looking for. But um, in the end, I did find a guy that was um, just within 30 minutes of me that had what I needed. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, um, 
not, not to go down a rabbit trail, as you like to say, or to, to make a long story short, I um, was an acquaintance with uh, his wife. We went to high school together. And so uh, we were able to link up on Facebook and um, find out what he had and what he was up to. And, and he was able to, to get me what I needed. Yeah. All right. So, so what were the criteria for, for this, uh, this initial herd? What were you looking for? I was looking for something that's going to grow out in six to seven months. So I was kind of avoiding those heritage breeds to begin with. And, and some of that was because of what I mentioned earlier, I wanted to, to turn these over quickly. Um, I didn't want to get started with something too specialty or, or too weird. And b- just because it being my first year, I wanted to, to sort of just stick to the basics, um, do some pigs that I knew how they um, would grow out and the timeframes they would grow out. Um, and I'm also, I'm not one of those guys that was not looking for pigs that would root until I, I wanted that just for the reasons we've already talked about with the brush and multiflora rows and, and the different brambles and blackberries we have out here. So I'm wanting to utilize that, that skill or that desire that they have, or as Joel Salatin says, the pigness of the pig. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wanting to utilize that on my land. So I wasn't looking for, um, the smaller homestead pigs either. So I was wanting to be in the middle. And um, what I ended up with um, were six Berkshire, three Hampshires, and two Blue Buck Crosses. Um, and in the end, I'm actually very happy I ended up with a mixture um, because I kind of get to see how they they grow and how they, they perform differently and um, even how they're looking and, and putting on weight differently. Um, I really wish I could have got a hold of some Duroc. Um, that's just always been one of my favorite pigs that I've um, ever had access to whenever I was, you know, raising for the fair and different things. But um, these these eleven pigs that I've got have have really done the job, and and um, I'm impressed with how they're doing. Okay, and it's my understanding, talking in pre-screening, that these eleven are destined for freezer camp soon. Correct? That's right. So. Um, just within the next uh, five days or so, the um, half of those will be going to the butcher. So um, I'm selling holes and halves currently, as you know, Troy, and uh, uh, eight of those are eight of the 11 are going to be sold out as um, holes and halves. The um, two, two of them are going to a close friend who made his own butcher dates. And uh, the last one is going to another close friend who wanted to butcher his own. So, um, so he's going to take that off my farm and butcher at his house actually. And so, um, so eight of the 11 are going to go to a processor um, here just within an hour of me. Uh, It's not USDA or anything like that. It's just um, a state inspected Mm -hmm. uh, processor that will drop the pigs off and the customer will pick the meat up there. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So that will make you um, uh, pig negative at that point. You'll be uh, right at zero, I should say, that when that happens. So so will the, the plan be next year to pick up some feeders again and move in that direction? Yeah, definitely. So I've already, um, in fact, uh, have people that have reached out um, to be on my interested list for 2023. So um, what I'm doing right now is just kind of keep on putting feelers out there for folks that may be hearing about this or, or seeing me on Facebook or Instagram or other places and want to know what the process is. I just take names, emails, and phone numbers, and I keep a list for 2023 and, and we'll, uh, you know, reach out to those folks when we get closer to time. So there's no commitment to get on the list of uh, interested people because that just keeps uh, sort of a, a backlog of customers for me. But then, um, of course, there'll be commitment once there's time to buy, once it's time to uh, buy pigs. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So, so let's go back and talk about the three different um, three different breeds that you had. So, out of those three, the the Berkshire, the Hampshire, and the Bluebuds, what did you have? You landed on one? Did you like one over the other? Uh, pros and cons? Yeah. So I, um, it is interesting to see the differences in them. Um, I have not ever personally tasted Berkshire, so I'm, I'm very excited to to put one of those in my own personal freezer just so that um, I can see how that goes and and be able to, to sort of have that conver- conversation ability with customers when I uh, talk about the different breeds. Um, so that's the plan for, for one of those will be um, in my personal freezer. Um, th- they are interesting because as I understand they're, they're somewhat heritage related. Um, 
and uh, definitely sort of almost borderline lard pig from what I understand, but um, but not not like some of your other true lard pig breeds. Um, but you can tell the difference in those versus the Hampshire and the Blue Butts because the Hampshire and Blue Butts are much leaner. They are uh, more of your meat pig, right? Your your bacon producers and and uh, things like that. But the Berkshire definitely has got that that rotund look to them, and uh, they're they're shaped like an egg almost compared to the torpedo or long and lean look of the Hampshires and the Blue Butts. Yeah. So how's your feed conversion been uh, this year? Would you would you say one was better than the other? Are you satisfied with with what you've had uh, invested uh, this year? Yeah, I think uh, feed conversion has been really good. Um, <clears throat> initially, those Berkshires were actually um, just a bit smaller than when, when I when they arrived on farm. They were just a bit smaller than the other breeds. Uh, they definitely have caught up and even surpassed, I think, in weight, the Hampshires and the Blue Butts. Um, in terms of uh, feed conversion, I still need to run the, the final numbers on that. Uh, um, tracking of, of feed has not I've learned a lot, I guess, uh, in this initial year, I've kept track of what I've bought, um, and what they've eaten. And, um, it'll be interesting to see what hanging weights come back at, you know, from the processor next week to see, um, what that conversion looks like. Um, I'm really blessed in the feed department to, uh, where I get my feed from the, the farmer that I buy from is a, a local guy. He's not a big feed mill or anything like that. He, and he's raised pigs, so he told me up front, this, this is what you can expect to raise a pig out. This is how much feed it'll take. So um, and his advice at the time was uh, 900 pounds per pig. Uh, and he seems to be really close to being, being right from my calculations so far. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. So that's interesting. And, and I, uh, this would be something that'd be worth uh, you and I staying in contact. So after your processing, since that's just going to be several weeks away, um, if you would reach back out to me, because by the time this airs, your your processing should be done. And it'd be nice, uh, I can include it in the bumper to, to give some of those follow-up weights. I'm going to put a note here to, to maybe do that if you're willing. And we can just oh, kind of yeah. see to say, yeah. okay, out of these out of these three different uh, breed types, how, just how they finished out there and see if there's any any data worth looking at? I mean, all the data is obviously worth looking at, but if there's anything, if there's a smoking gun, I guess I should say. So that would absolutely, be yeah, I'd be, at. I'd love to help anybody who's listening. Uh, I've been helped uh, big time from this podcast, so I, anything I can provide, Troy, I'd love to do that. Awesome, sounds great, man. That'd be great. All right, so yeah, I'll um, I'll uh, reach back out to you, or if you can remember, reach out to me as well, and, and like I said, we'll include that in this. So people that are listening, they understand that I record my bumpers before we go live, so I can include that prior to or after the interview. Okay, so, um, wow, let's go. So you, you kind of tease something there that those of y'all listening, I was purposefully not underscoring this, and you may have heard John say that, those of you who've been really astute and listening, picked up that this is his first year in raising pigs on his farm. And you may be listening to John say, wow, I didn't pick up on that from John. John seems like he's got his act together, seems like he knows what he's doing. And I want to carry that over even into, because I, I feel the same way, I carry that over into John's business presence. So his social media, his website, all that type of stuff. So John just got started with Pastured Pigs, but you have a good social media presence showing your farm, show, and you've got your website where people can can look and, and use that to, to communicate with you, to place orders. Why did you feel it was important to start that even before you've sold your first pork chop? I think there's a couple factors. Um, one is uh, my degree is in a in a business area, so I kind of have some uh, background uh, from my college days and uh, somewhat from my day job um, related to that as well. But um, one of the major factors for me, especially in starting the website, was um, I started following along with the podcasts um, from Charlotte Smith. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, Troy, or not. No. Um, she's really into farm marketing. That's, that's who she's targeting is farmers and how to sell and be a, um, a marketing person, a business person while being a farmer. Um, if you haven't uh, checked her out, um, definitely do so. She's got a, a fantastic pod podcast and it's not about farming. It's just about selling. Hmm. And um, she, 
no, you know, these are the sort of her initial podcasts. If you scroll all the way back to the beginning of where she started is like, here's the first five or 10 or 20 things you need to do as a starting out farmer. And basically she's encouraging you to market yourself and not just your product. And uh, because people are buying from us because they care about our story. They care about who we are and not just what we're selling. And so uh, I sort of just latched onto her advice and um, went for it, you know, and, and uh, I sort of started out with the, the uh, website as a build your own kind of thing. And um, it's um, funny enough, I've, because I've reached the end of this first season, I just reached out to a friend who has much better skill in that area than I do uh, to overhaul the website. So uh, possibly even by the time this airs, the website might uh, look even better or be more professional because I'm just not, as creative in that area as other people. But um, Charlotte Smith was sort of the, the person that pointed me in the right direction to say, even before you have something to sell, you need to start putting your presence out there, let people know what you're up to, what you're planning so that they know. Um, and uh, that, that really did work for me because um, approaching my first year, I thought, you know, if I can do four or five pigs, um, and get those to friends and family. And that would help my land. That would help me get started and, um, and figure out the, the kinks and um, what I need to, to tweak and what I need to fix to, to really start to ramp up and move forward in the future. And um, just because I had some of those things out there on social media and the website, um, I was able to more than double that, almost triple what I my initial goal was, which was four or five pigs for the year just to, to learn. And, um, you know, I had a, a, a friend that's really close to me. He, he does uh, a lot of meat chickens and he was pushing me to go for 20. And I think I probably could have even sold 20. And I, I said, I think I need to stop right here at 10 or 11 just for the year to make sure, you know, I've got this down and that there's not a major hole in my plan or something I'm missing or a weakness. I'm not um, sure of, because I, I do like to start small when I start things. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned that we started with six chickens and we ramped up from there and, and it was like that with the pigs too. There there's, um, I don't want to say I'm completely risk averse, but I, I want to take that first year to learn and, and then I can be super confident moving forward that now I could do 20 or 50 pigs because, um, really all you're doing then is adding feed and making their, their paddock bigger. And, um, so I feel a lot better about what I've learned this year. No, that's great. My goodness. A lot of good stuff there. I I love that starting small managing expectations and not over committing and really being able just to see it's, it's like a little, it's like a little focus group. You're going to see how this first group does and then, okay, yeah. What's the scalability of what I've done here and how far do I want to take it next year? So, so backing up to, to Charlotte, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out her podcast because I think that is, is spot on. I mean, that's, that's what I hope I've been trying to convey over the last several years here as well is this idea that you are selling yourself. You're not just selling a product, especially when we're talking about slow food or we're talking about regenerative agriculture. People want to understand the story and they want to understand that you've taken something that was maybe a rough piece of land and you're regenerating it as you're producing some great quality food. And yeah, people want to know who you are. They want to know you, do you have kids. Yeah. Here's you know, all those type of things. People get behind that when they say, not only am I buying a great pork chop or a great egg or a great you know chicken wing, whatever, I know the farmer. I feel like I know them personally who, who produce this because you know, your story's out there. So that's, you know, I, I, I just I'm going to echo exactly what you said to people listening. If, if you haven't transitioned over into turning this into a business, or even if you have, you know, yesterday is the best time to get started on your social media presence and your website presence. And I, again, I could go all, all day on why you need the website more than you even need the social media, but, but start there, get that going. And it just, it just carries a professional look. And that's what I was, I, that's what caught my attention about John. I knew this was his first year. Uh, well, actually no, in pre-screening is when you told me, but I, I just, one of those things that caught my attention is like, okay, John, John's a producer. He knows what he's doing, all that type of stuff. And, and then, and then it's like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. He, he, this is his first year. This isn't his first rodeo as far as you know, being out on, on land and doing stuff, but this is his first year taking his product and, and turning it into a business. And because he had these things in place, 
It's this professional look. And it, and I know some people may even try to, they knee jerk that a little bit. Say, well, that kind of sounds like you're kind of doing a bait and switch or you're presenting yourself as somebody you're not. No, you're just simply, you're not saying that you've been doing this for decades. You're not saying you have years and years of experience. You're just showing that, hey, here's ways to communicate with me. Here's details about my product. Here's how how we're going to handle the product sales, those type of things. And people people really latch on to those visuals. They, they latch on to people with plans. And they can get behind that. So, you know, I applaud what you've done there, John. And I think that's that's great. And starting there first, it's really going to get you ahead of the game as you go to scale up here over the next several years. Yeah, thank you, Troy. I, I think if I might just add the um, the bait and switch thing, it can feel like that when you're marketing in general, right? Is um, Some of us farmers are just not natural marketers. I know I'm not personally a nat- naturally a salesman, so... Um, what I wanted to do was build that backstory and, and just be really honest. I'm starting out, you know, so if you, if you get back far enough on my um, social media and website, you'll see that um, I give the story of who we are and that we are just starting out. And I think that's important that you, that you don't do a bait and switch, but you be honest and genuine with who you are and what you're up to. Um, and, and as you build that backstory, it'll start to market itself for you. Yes. Um, and the other thing is that you really don't want to be trying to give attention and building these things when you are trying to farm, because uh, if you're trying to build a website after the fact, uh, it's almost too late. You, you're going to be busy with uh, the pigs or whatever animal you're you're focused in on and trying to get them settled. And yeah, exactly. I wanted to have all that taken care of up front, knocked out and, and not have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody does a website building a social media dump between December and February. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. It's like, we're not busy now. Quick. Let's, what can we do to actually look professional online? But yeah, no, good, good words. Good words. Definitely. Yeah. And if you're looking for Charlotte Smith's uh, podcast, it's called the profitable mindset. Uh, if you or your listeners want to check that out. Very good. Very good. Yep. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll find that and I'll link that down in the show notes as well. In fact, I'm going to have to put that in my notes. Uh, profitable. I'm sorry. What did you say? Profitable mindset. Profitable mindset. Okay. All right. So along those lines, let's talk about scalability and future plans. So what does, well, maybe next year or the next five years, what does, what does that look like for uh, Poplar Ridge? I think we're going to sit down this winter and, and start to do some math. And um, what what I've been sort of mulling over in my head is whether I want to run um, either two sets of smaller batches next year to sort of spread the processing out and um, spread the customer base out, or if I want to just um, combine all those into to one bigger group. But I think I could easily um, run one bigger group with um, the feeder and watering system I have currently and the fencing system I have currently. Um, if I wanted to split those into two smaller groups, I'm going to have to, you know, probably add a, a feeder or, and, or a water if those overlap at all. Mm. And so those are the things I'm thinking about at the moment, but, uh, definitely there's a plan to, to increase, um, next year. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we were in the more 20 to 30 pigs, um, next year. Um, just because like I said, I felt so much better running the 11 that you could, um, if you can run 11 together, you can run 20 or 30 together. I feel like, yeah. Um, at least with the system I have Mm -hmm. set up, I feel good about that. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the gravity feeder and, and your watering system, like you said, um, yeah, 11, 20, 25, whatever, all that, all that still computes now. So, so here's the interesting thing. And this is, this is why I want to ask you this because it's the same situation I run into. So looking at, and I love the idea of, of, of splitting a herd or having multiple groups on farm. That way your processing dates are spread out. Because some people, uh, you run into the fact that here you are October, November, people are gearing up for Christmas, all those additional expenses they're going to have because that's the world we live in. And they may not necessarily have allocated funds to, to spend almost a grand on food. So looking at, hey, do we have processing in the... Um, you know, in, in late summer or early summer because we've staggered our, our groups here and, and can spread that out. And, of course, since you're using a state-inspected processor, then you could even obviously start selling cuts um, if you uh, obviously you know, did some of the things, infrastructure improvements you need to do on the, on the farm there. So, so looking at that and growing that opportunity and exploring that, 
would that mean that you're going to entertain looking at keeping pigs over winter? Or are you always going to try to be done before the real sloppy season hits? I think for at least right now, um, I would probably be done before winter. Um, and that's mainly due to my watering situation. Uh, we're currently just watering out of a, a 55 gallon drum and I'm not sure I want to be either, uh, uh, moving hoses or hauling water through the winter, at least initially. Um, if I get something um, better set up, which I have, um, you know, all of us farmers have dreams and goals and plans, you know, for what we'd like to do in the future. And um, my hope is that um, the profits from the pigs will be put right back into the farm for, um, for really good perimeter fencing and, and or watering systems Um more like the the actual buried pipe and uh, connection points under the ground, like you've probably seen with some of the mm-hmm. the Plasson, um watering systems that uh, different uh, people like uh, Greg Judy or uh, the Salatins use for connection points under the ground, where you don't have to worry about the the frozen water. Um, if if I could get that situation going, I would definitely entertain um, having pigs throughout the winter. Um, what I probably would entertain if I ran two groups, Troy would be to start earlier though. Mm. Um, because my pigs start out in a sort of sacrificial barnyard area where, um, I refer to it as their training pen, as a lot of people do where they're learning the electric wire. I, it wouldn't hurt to have them, um, as small pigs earlier on, I think. Um, and that would probably be my goal is to maybe if I did run two groups, start out earlier in the season than I did this year. And then uh, possibly then, you know, halfway through that batch, start a second batch or something like that. Yeah. So are we looking at maybe having wieners on farm around uh, end of February, 1st of March? Yeah, I think that would be more along the goal uh, this time, whereas the pigs I have now were born in that April time frame. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So looking at that and saying, wow, that that works out well, because especially if they're starting in the sacrificial area or the training area, then that gives you um, a little bit easier management of, of frozen issues. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and of course, you know, uh, wieners are going to drink a lot less. So, you know, smaller bowls that you can heat or even bury and, and, and have some of that thermal mass helping you out there. So yeah, it's a good strategy. Yeah. You, you know, the other thing it really would help with would be my processing dates. When, when I did call this current processor, it was like, Hey, if you can, if you have any uh, ability to do anything earlier, we have tons of dates before <laughs> right, October. Right. But she was like, you know, everybody wants hog dates after October. Yeah. Um, and it, that kind of clicked and stuck in my mind as well. It's like if, if you could just back it up just a little bit, um, it might be easier to to get in with different processors around here. Yeah, yeah, good deal, good deal. All right, so do you see, and then one more question here. So do you see yourself, um, if, I think you're going to be a, a feeder operation for a while. Do you, do you see yourself farrowing at any point? I don't think I'm going to head down the farrowing path, at least for right now. Um, What I would like to do is let other people specialize in that and take care of that. Um, It's just so easy for me um, to bring the pigs on farm and get going, let the, let other people worry about farrowing and weaning and, and getting them to size. And um, whereas um, my main goal um, with these pigs is property cleanup initially. Yeah, I sort of want to put them out there and let them uh, get going with that, right? And um, I, I'm also the type of person though that that does to like like to have control over my situation, and um, it can be difficult to rely on other people to um, be on their list. But um, mentioned already that the farmer I buy. Um, feed from and he's actually going to be doing some feeders as well uh this coming year he took a trip to to tennessee somewhere and picked up some uh, bloodlines of some uh sows that he was impressed with and um his plan is to to sell some feeder pigs off of that so i'm thinking i'm whether i split into two groups or do one i i may stick with my breeder i bought from this year but buy the extra from uh, the farmer I'm buying feed feed from already because I have a relationship now with both of them. I feel pretty good about that situation. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, it's it's all about establishing those relationships and 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 not just waiting to the last minute. And say, oh, it's time to get pigs on the farm. I'm going to start calling around, and see what I can find. Man, those are conversations you have now, or or like you said, even earlier in the year, and just 
just make sure they understand that your plan is, hey, if, if this works out, we can keep this rolling, then, then you can kind of have a standing order with me each year around this time unless things change. Uh, then, then just have those relationships established. That way, um, yeah, you don't run into those surprises. Yeah, but both yeah. both opportunities are, are pro, there's pros and cons to both situations. But yeah, I, I love. Again, it comes back to manage expectations. I, I love the fact that you're not you're diving into the deep end of the pool head first and just trying to do everything. You're you're being methodical in your processes and and really looking back and seeing you know what the results are before you make another big move. It's wise, very wise stuff. Yeah, I appreciate that. A lot of that is time management. You know, I'm just, um, as a lot of farmers are, I still have m- my day job I need, need to keep. And so I need to be, uh, I need to be realistic about what I can do, do here. And, um, if I can grow, um, you know, selling the holes and has initially, and, and maybe even, um, if I'm going to expand somewhere, it's probably going to be through selling retail cuts or possibly selling wholesale to restaurants. Uh, but probably not the farrowing side of things initially. Yeah, good deal, good deal. So, John, let me ask you the parting question here. What is your favorite part, or what do you like the most about raising pigs on pasture? I think for me, um, and I know a lot of people on this podcast have said this, but it's uh, probably two things. The the personality of the pigs, um, they are such an interesting animal. Um, And I've heard you, Troy, and a lot of your guests even refer to them as that puppy dog or that dog mentality uh i go out there and i know they know who i am when i show up they're excited to see me they're uh running around and i enjoy just being out there with them they are a a fun animal Uh, they're not something i i get overly frustrated with dealing with Um, there would be nothing worse than having farm animals that you didn't enjoy uh, being around or having on the farm and so when I do get out there with them uh, each day, it, it's uh, it's fun to be out there. And sometimes I just sit out there and watch them do their thing, you know. Um, and they like to follow me around, and and uh, uh, they enjoy moving paddock to paddock. But uh, the other big thing for me, and I, I know I already mentioned this a couple times, is what they're doing to the landscape here. And um, it really makes it feel like I'm not just wasting this 75 acres. I'm not just sitting on this anymore, but that I'm. I'm using the land to, to help feed my family and to feed other families. You know, there's a total of, of 16 families that are going to be fed from these uh, 11 pigs this year, plus mine. So uh, it'd be 17 families, really. Mm. And, um, and I'm excited about what they're doing in the landscape uh, in the process, you know, tearing up that multiflora rose and regaining some pasture so that uh, sort of prepping things for possibly other animals, whether that's cattle or sheep or something else in the future, um, and and helping me get control of of the land I've got. So those would be the things I enjoy most, and um, um, just really enjoyed having them here this first year. Yeah, great, awesome, good answer. All right, well, so John, if people want to find out more about Poplar Ridge Family Farm, where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, we're all over the place so um on youtube it's just uh referred to as poplar ridge so you could search us uh on youtube and find us there uh website is www.ohiopoplarridge.com and uh of course on facebook and instagram we are at ohio poplar ridge so we're kind of um across most of the social media platforms all right excellent excellent well, I may have to uh, um, reach out to you at some point. Uh, we, we make it through the Athens area quite a bit, so I may have to reach out to you at some point and maybe meet up for lunch or even come to the farm if you're willing. That'd be great. We'd love to have you. All right. All right. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I pray you have a great week. Thanks, Troy. You too. All right. Take care. All right. Well, I really appreciate John coming on the podcast. It was uh, it was a pleasure speaking with him. And as promised at the beginning of the podcast, we have this data I want to share uh, so if you recall, he had uh, 11 total uh, hogs that he took or that he raised out, uh, two of which, or actually three of which, he didn't have any control over the final processing. Two went to another processor and one was processed on a different farm. So he sent me this lineup, and we'll, we'll just stick with hanging weight because I think this is um, you know, where you're going to have the best comparison. So it looks like uh, John had five Berkshire, he had two Hampshire, and he had one Blue Butt. And... No surprise, because this is kind of what I figured it would turn out. 
goodness, my nose won't stop itching. <laughs> Let's say that's when you're lying, when your nose starts itching. Anyway, um, it turned out that the blue butt came in at 218 hanging. And um, in my experience, and, and I've had blue butts before, that uh, it seems like they, they kind of... Yeah, you know, they're a longer pig, and they can they can kind of put on that weight well. So two eighteen, but the rest of his uh, the rest of his were not that far off. The next heaviest was the um, let's see, that would be two oh seven, which would be uh, one of the Hampshires, and then two oh six was another Hampshire. But he also had a Berkshire that was two oh seven, two oh six, and then the rest one eighty four, one ninety four, one ninety. So uh, kind of not a, not a big surprise there. You know, some of these, these breeds that are, that are more production-style breeds uh, finished a little bit heavier, but it's not this, um, you know, this gaping difference. It's, it's not a smoking gun that we, we were kind of curious to see if there would be such a thing. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it really doesn't surprise me, and, and the, the processing dates... Um, there were two different processes needs, so there were seven days. So two of the Berkshire, the Blue Butt, and the Hamp had seven, seven more days to uh, to eat and pack on a little weight there. But uh, within that time frame, it does look like they were pretty close. But I, I think that's um, that's a good indicator. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of variables there, of course, but it's a good indicator of when you're running a group together. Um, you know, what I'd always been told and what I was taught is that when pigs have the opportunity to to kind of um, jockey each other for position when it comes to feed, then that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. They can, if, if there's not unlimited food that they can just go to and eat whenever they want, and there's actually a little bit of competition there, then that encourages them to, to eat more and to be more um, aggressive at the trough, not you know, to the point where they're hurting one another, but more aggressive and consuming uh, maybe a little less waste because they're going to make sure, hey, I'll look up everything I can because uh, there's some competition here. And I think that really helps balance stuff out. Now, granted, if you got a run to net that's getting knocked around, then uh, that that's going to show up. But, man, I really appreciate John sharing that data with us. And um, I really like how he's gotten started with his farm. I think he's really taken the right attitude to that. Uh, be sure to check out Charlotte Smith's podcast if you have not. Um, I'm going to put that one on my list as well to be able to to listen to that and see what she's got going on. I have a feeling we we probably echo each other on a lot, but maybe uh, she obviously I'm, I'm sure has some other good insights that uh, that she can share as well. Well, I appreciate everybody listening and uh, participating with um, with the podcast and the Facebook group. The Pastured Pig Facebook group is growing. There's uh, new people coming in daily and seems to be some good conversation going there. So uh, be sure to join that if you haven't already. And again, consider the uh, supporting us with Patreon. On the 13th, we'll be having our live chat session. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.